Okay, so <clears throat> this morning we are in our, our final part of our mini-series in First Corinthians. It's titled The Power of Example. Uh, and our plan is to, to continue First Corinthians later on uh, in the year. Uh, just to give you a heads up as to where we're heading in the next few months. Um, we're going to be starting a, a new Easter series next week titled Who is Jesus? Um, this will take us right up until Easter Sunday. Then we're going to start a new series on the story of Joseph as we find it in the book of Genesis. And this will take us right up until our summer series, which will begin around the start of July. Um, but as we finish this, this mini-series today, uh, let's take a moment to look back uh, at all that we've spent time focusing on through this time. Uh, we spent time looking at this power of example through uh, worship. We've looked at the power, the power of example via mission. Uh, we've thought about the power of example within the, the spiritual discipline of imitation. And last week we examined the power of example through complementarity. This idea that men and women are different uh, and we complement one another and we are called to live within our complementary design. Uh, today we're thinking about the power, the power of example through how it is we ought to practice the Lord's Supper. How it is we ought to practice the Lord's Supper. So let's take a moment to examine what is it Paul has to say about the Lord's Supper and how it is the church in Corinth ought to practice this sacrament? We read these words from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and in verses 17 through to 34. Paul writes these words. Now in giving this instruction, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you and in part I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognised among you. When you come together then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for at the meal each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry, while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognising the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give instructions about the other matters whenever I come. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word today. Uh, so the 15th of March uh, 2020 was our last full in-person gathering uh, as a church family. So this means that today's Sunday gathering is the 52nd occasion that we've met together online, which completes an entire year of online worship together. 
And as thankful as we are for technology, and as thankful as we were for meeting in person with limited capacity over the December period, it's not been the same as having 60 odd people here of different nationalities, different backgrounds and different ages coming together for one purpose. The pandemic has meant that we, we have had to practice church in a very different way. And some things have just not been possible for us until things get back to some level of normality. This includes, as already mentioned, in-person meetings. This includes baptism services. And this includes the taking of the Lord's Supper. You might be thinking this morning, we've already been able to do so much online. Why have we not practiced the Lord's Supper on Zoom or in some other platform? And you may have even had the Lord's Supper in person through missional communities over the summer period when you had a, a small window, an opportunity to meet in homes. But when you think about what we used to do before March 2020, we used to take the bread and the cup together every single week on a Sunday. Could we have not reformatted this and had this online as well? Well, something we need to understand is that the Lord's Supper is very much a physical act of worship together. We don't just take a physical bread and drink from a physical cup, but Paul underlines in a passage on five different occasions the absolute necessity of us meeting together physically as we practice this sacrament. So in verse 17, Paul writes, since you come together, and in verse 18, again, Paul says, when you come together. In verse 20, we read, when you come together. In verse 33, when you come together. And finally, Paul writes in verse 34, when you gather together. What we see here is that this notion of coming together for the bread and for the cup is not incidental to Paul's instruction, but it's absolutely central. So I have personally felt the pain of not being able to break bread with all of you as a gathered church family. But that should really awaken us to the fact that what we do online is simply not enough. For us to have the fullest expression of church is for us to meet in person together. You know, we're so thankful for all the, the various ways that we can connect as a church family. We're thankful for the ability to be able to live stream online right now in this very moment. We're thankful that for you, this might be a way in which you can check this church out. Um, and you can spend time connecting with us in different ways. And then you can hopefully eventually visit in person. But for all of us, not just to survive spiritually, but to thrive spiritually, we need to worship in person together. And part of that worshiping in person is the breaking of the one bread and the taking of the one cup as a recognition that although we are all different, we are one in Christ because of Jesus through his perfect sacrifice for us on the cross. You know, I don't think I've always had that kind of attitude towards communion, the Lord's Supper. Um, growing up in church, I used to dread, I used to dread the time where we would break bread together for a whole host of different reasons. Most of these reasons are down to the fact that I'm a sinful person and my own biases and prejudices towards this practice can be traced back to a wrong heart. Part of why I used to dread this service was down to the fact that I didn't really understand what was going on. Like I hadn't fully grasped both head and heart why we were taking this bread and drinking this cup. 
Now, I could have probably have provided some kind of adequate explanation of why we ate and drank together, but it hadn't really reached my heart. I hadn't connected with his practice at a much deeper level. Another part of my problem with the Lord's Supper was that I knew deep down that within my own life, I wasn't living wholeheartedly for Christ. Jesus was one of many important things in my life, and because of this, my heart was not spiritually attuned to the significance of this meal. And another part of my issue with the Lord's Supper growing up was that it was often felt like this somber and sad occasion. Now, I may be way off in this interpretation, but it felt like we had to force ourselves into being sad in order to outwardly demonstrate that we understood the significance of this meal. And a further issue I had with the Lord's Supper was that it ran like clockwork. I could predict exactly what would be done, when it would be done, who could even do it, who might even pray at a certain point within the service. The routine, this regular pattern of the Lord's Supper, was so ingrained in my mind that I didn't appreciate and value it like I might have appreciated and valued something for the very first time. For me, this practice of taking a bread and drinking a cup could easily fall into a, this is how we have always done it and so we will do it like this mentality. Rather than a fresh realisation of the fact that this is a means of grace, this is an opportunity to come to God in spirit and in truth, therefore this is an act of worship mentality. So there were definitely issues within my own life which meant I wasn't connecting with this meal as I ought to. But there were also practices within our communion gathering which, if done differently, would mean there were less obstacles for people as they met together to worship in this way and as they sought to connect with our Lord and Saviour. And this is similar to what is going on within the church in Corinth. There were definitely major heart, major sin issues among certain individuals within this congregation who were a part of this church. And this was causing them to practice this meal in a way which was way off, which was contrary to God's will. And at the same time, the church had arranged and organised this meal in a way which made it susceptible to practices that were contrary to God's will, leading to a taking of a bread and cup in a manner which did not reflect the original intentions of Jesus as he met with his disciples and as he explained and unpacked the significance of this meal for everybody. Paul writes these words about the Lord's Supper in the context of two other issues he had relating to the Corinthian gathered times of worship. In 1 Corinthians 11 and in verses 2 to 3, Paul says, Now I praise you. And then he says, But I want you to know. And in our passage today in verse 17, Paul says, Now in giving this instruction, and in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts. In each of these now moments within this part of the letter, Paul is addressing three major problems that the church in Corinth had when it came to their public worship gatherings. In other words, when they came to worship in a public setting, they were doing three things really badly. Paul doesn't just want them to know this. He wants them to address this and live differently when they come together physically for their worship. As we looked at last week, some within the congregation were blurring the creative design and difference between men and women. And this was causing confusion and division within the church. And Paul challenges this. And he wants the church to have a clear, God-centred understanding of manhood and womanhood. And as we will look at later within this First Corinthians series, there was also a misuse and abuse of spiritual gifts within the gathered times of worship, 
causing the church not to be edified, but instead to be confused and to be divided. And Paul addresses this in the next chapter. And these are problems number one and problem number three when it came to gathered times of worship. And problem number two is this week's passage. The practice of the Lord's Supper was being done in a way which was contrary to the heart of God and his gospel. They were called to practice this meal in a certain way and they were doing the opposite of what they had been called to. And so we're going to break up this passage into three parts so that we can have a firm grasp of what Paul is saying and how it relates to our own situation. So number one, we're going to, ident- we're going to identify the problem that Paul addresses. What was his issue with the Corinthians? And how was it that they practiced the Lord's Supper? What was the problem here? Number two, we're going to think about the consequences of that problem. What resulted from them living in a way which was contrary to God's way? And finally, number three, we're going to explore what was ultimately Paul's solution. Who was he calling him to be? What was he calling him to do? So let's begin by examining together the problem that existed within the church in Corinth as they practiced the Lord's Supper. Number one, the problem. Let's begin by having a look at verse 18. Paul writes to the Corinthians, For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. So Paul recognised that there was this bigger issue at play within the church in Corinth. There was not unity, there was disunity within the life of the church. This is something we looked at a lot through this series. From chapters 1 through to 11, divisions showed their ugly face in so many areas within the life of the church. And Paul highlights here that God has permitted this division for a particular purpose. He says in verse 19, Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognised among you. So Paul is still speaking generally here about all of the divisions that exist in this church, but he wants them to see that God is using this division so that they can discern through the work of his Spirit what is right and what is wrong, who is right and who is wrong around the public worship practice. So for Paul, God's favour and approval will be upon those who live according to his will and his way and with a spirit of humility in all that we do. And it's from here that Paul moves on to identify one of, another of, the battlegrounds that exist within the life of this church. Let's take a moment to read verse 20. Paul says this, When you come together, then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. So first off, Paul says here, You may describe what you are doing as the Lord's Supper, but I'm here to tell you that what you are doing is not the Lord's Supper. So these are are strong words from Paul. He is not messing about. He's pretty forceful in what he's saying here. Imagine for a moment Paul was overseeing Denison Baptist Church. And imagine he sent an email to the entire church and he said, You guys in the worship team and all of you who participate in worship, everyone who sings during worship, you think you're worshipping, but you're not worshipping. You're just singing songs. Or imagine he said, Mark, you think you're preaching the word of God? I'm here to tell you that you're not. You're just giving little pep talks. Or to the church family again, you think you're doing missional communities. Well, let me tell you, there's nothing missional and there's nothing community about it. Now, for the record, I don't think any of this is true for ourselves. But it could be true. And we could so so easily deceive ourselves into thinking that what we do as church is pleasing to God when it's actually not. So do not misunderstand Paul here. He's not been flippant to the Corinthians. He's not been rude to the Corinthians. 
Instead, he is forcefully and authoritatively highlighting the fact that their practice of the Lord's Supper is way off what God had called it to be. It's way off who God called them to be. And Paul then goes on to elaborate on why this is the case. We read in verse 21, For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. There were three issues at play when it came to taking of the Lord's Supper as a church within Corinth. Firstly, as we see in this verse, there was a blurring of the line between eating a common meal together and having the Lord's Supper together. The Lord's Supper was normally taken as a church family within the context of a communal meal together. But it had become so mixed in with just having food with brothers and sisters in Christ that people were taking this meal not as a spiritual act of worship, but instead to satisfy their own hunger and thirst. And Paul wants to highlight the difference between eating together and having the Lord's Supper together. This is why Paul says in verse 22, Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? The second issue was that as people were bringing bread and wine as well as other food to satisfy their own hunger and thirst, they were also making sure that what they brought they kept for themselves. They were not sharing with the poorer members of the congregation who had little or nothing to offer the church family. So communal eating was and is no bad thing. It's a, it's a good thing. It's something we do a lot of as a church. But in Corinth, they would each bring food for this common meal but instead of sharing it together, including the Lord's Supper, they would eat the food they brought and not hand it out to everyone else. This meant that the poorer members who would bring a small amount or nothing at all would completely miss out. They would be left hungry. Not only were these members of the church missing out on the Lord's Supper, they were missing out on fellowship with the entire church family. They were being made to feel like second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. And we know this. Because Paul says, so one person is hungry. Their physical and spiritual needs were not being met. And he also speaks of those who have nothing as being humiliated in verse 22. And the third issue that arose when it came to this church taking the Lord's Supper was one of drunkenness. Drunkenness in verse 21. They were drinking the wine excessively to the point of being drunk. And God's word is clear for us today. There is never an occasion when Christians should get drunk, ever. All in all, uh, this had become a meal of exclusion and not inclusion. One where one particular group's sinful and selfish wants were being met, resulting in the Corinthian church being the antithesis of who God had called them to be. Schreiner, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, notes this about the problem of the Lord's Supper within the church of, in Corinth. He says this, their public behaviour amounts to despising the church of God since the church is only honoured if its members are welcomed with love. At the same time, the wealthy in the congregation have imbibed the social standards of the world they inhabit by accepting the honour-shame structure of society. Thus, they feel free to neglect poor members of the congregation while eating the Lord's Supper. So Paul identifies the problem and Paul also highlights what results from this kind of behaviour as the church gathers together for the practice of the Lord's Supper? Let's take a look at the second point together. Number two, the consequence. The consequence. So something 
we often forget is that for every action, there will always be a reaction. For every decision we sow, we will reap something else. And Paul wants the Corinthians to understand the gravity of what will follow when they consciously choose to misuse and abuse the Lord's Supper for their own personal gain. Paul says in verse 27 of our passage, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So Paul wants the church to see that when they sin against their brothers and sisters in Christ during this sacred time of worship together, there is a greater and bigger sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So much of our sin will fail to grow and infect our hearts when we carry that God consciousness, when we realise that we're not just sinning against somebody else, but we're sinning first and foremost against God, against our Heavenly Father, against our Lord Jesus Christ. When we sin, we are literally grieving the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within us. Paul wants them to be aware of the cosmic significance of what they are doing when they come to this table in an unworthy manner as they carry unrepentant sin within their lives. And Paul continues to challenge in verses 28 to 29. He writes, Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognising the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So we judge ourselves in order that we might not be judged by God. We judge ourselves in order that we might not be judged by God. This is Paul calling us to be repentant. We need to recognise our sin. We need to bring it before God. We believe that he will cleanse us of all sin because of his son's perfect sacrifice for us on the cross. And we do all of this before we break this bread and before we drink this cup. To not do that, according to Paul, is to eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. And Paul goes on to explain what this looks like in verses 30 to 32. Paul wants us to see the consequences of taking the bread and drinking the cup in an unworthy manner. We read in verses 30 to 32. This is why many are sick and ill among you and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Now this phrase, falling asleep, is a commonly used phrase in the New Testament for somebody passing away. So Paul does not shy away here from the consequences of breaking the bread and drinking the cup in an unworthy manner. It can lead to sickness. It can lead to illness. It can ultimately lead to death. This is God's loving discipline upon his children so that they might be fully restored back to him. This is not eternal separation and eternal judgment from God. Paul says as much in verse 32. But make no mistake about it, our sins will always, always have consequences. We could never say that all sickness, all illness, all death is a consequence of a particular sin or particular sins within our lives. But the New Testament is clear here and also elsewhere. Sometimes, sometimes, sin leads to sickness and illness. Sometimes sin leads to death. And you must count it as a loving discipline of the Lord that you might be fully restored back to him. And in this passage, Paul is speaking particularly of taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, in a manner that dishonours rather than honours God. So this should grant us a holy fear 
as we come before us bread and cup in, in remembrance and in rejoicing in all that Christ has done for, done for us within our lives. And this naturally leads us onto what is essentially our third point uh, this morning. Number three, the solution, the solution. So the question that I'm asking here is this, what are we to do? Once we understand the problem and we understand the consequence, what is the solution to not showing reverence and honour to the Lord through this regular practice of the Lord's Supper? Well, I think we need to understand both what we're doing and why we're doing it. We don't take the Lord's Supper because we've always taken the Lord's Supper, which is perhaps a danger for many of us who have been followers of Jesus for a long time. We don't take the Lord's Supper because someone else or a number of people expect us to take the Lord's Supper. And there can definitely, there can definitely be a fear of man when it comes to this act of public worship. One that says, if I don't take this today, what will this person think of me? Nor do we take the Lord's Supper because we want to get something from God. An attitude that says, God, if, if I do this for you, then you will give me this. That would be using God for our own selfish gain. Instead, we take the Lord's Supper because not only do we understand what Jesus has done for us on the cross, but we also treasure this reality in our hearts. It's wonderful to us. It's beautiful. It's something that we rejoice in regularly. The bread and the cup are an outward expression of this inward joy and satisfaction in Christ. Paul has explained to the Corinthians that what they are doing is not the Lord's Supper because of our sinfulness, because of our selfishness, because of our division. And he then goes on to underline what the Lord's Supper is all about. And he does so with apostolic authority. What Paul says here is testimony from the Lord. God has revealed this directly to Paul and he is now passing it on. To disobey Paul here would be to disobey God for the Corinthians and for us. Paul is offering the Corinthians a solution here to how it is they should practice the Lord's Supper. And note that this is a passage that we regularly use as we take the bread and as we drink the cup at DBC. Paul writes in verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, it's important for me to highlight what is going on when we take the bread and we drink the cup. When we read Jesus' words here and in the gospel narratives, he says, this is my body. This is my body. As a church, we do not believe in transubstantiation. We do not believe that the bread and the wine literally become the body and blood of Christ. Nor do we believe in, and our big word for is, consubstantiation. This idea that the, blood, the body and blood of Christ are within the bread and wine. Nor do we see this spiritual practice as simply being an act of remembrance with no involvement of God in the process. Instead, I would invite you to see the Lord's Supper as an act of worship. As Paul highlights here with these words, of course, we are remembering what Jesus has done for us, but we're also rejoicing too. His presence is with us as we take this bread and drink this cup in a worthy manner, in a manner that unifies the body that ultimately glorifies God. 
And not only that, but we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We're not just looking back at what Christ has done for us. We're also looking ahead to what Christ will do, will do both in our lives and the church, local and global, and also what Christ will do in this world right into eternity. So this is why I struggle with the Lord's Supper when it all, when all it becomes is this solemn and serious occasion. God, through his son Jesus, calls us into a sacrament. And when we partake of it physically, we are reminded spiritually of the wonder of the cross and the hope for all, for all of us beyond this life and in the life to come. So this is why Paul says what the Corinthians were doing was not the Lord's Supper. Because if they truly understood the Lord's Supper in this way, these words that Paul writes in verses 23 to 26, they would not be blurring the line between a communal meal and a sacred act. They would not be using this meal to satisfy their own hunger and thirst. They would not be getting drunk, period. Paul wants them to carry this gospel vision as they come to this table. And so it causes him to write these final words in verses 33 to 34. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. Welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give you instructions about the other matters whenever I come. So these final words are very much the outworking of the theological truth that Paul has already brought to bear for the believers in Corinth. Paul starts descriptively of what Christ has done, and he finishes prescriptively of what they should now do as a result of what Christ has done. In essence, as you take this bread and as you drink this cup, live under the shadow of the gospel, for it's a, it's a blessed shadow, one that offers both security and satisfaction in Christ. You know, I'm convinced that when Jesus becomes wonderful to you, your obedience to him will follow, including the manner in which you take this meal as part of a physical gathered body. You know, I really do miss taking the bread and the cup together as a church family. I really do miss it. Uh, one of the, the things this lockdown season has done is give me a, a fresh appreciation of the importance of this meal. And I'm really looking forward, whenever this might be, but I'm really looking forward to us all being able to meet together as a church family and take this bread and drink this cup together. And my hope is that as we come to this table in repentance and in reverence, not only will it reinforce the magnitude of what Jesus has done for us, but it will awaken new waves of joy and excitement in our hearts as we look ahead to all that Jesus will one day do within our lives. In the line, the witch in the wardrobe, there was this powerful moment where the name of Aslan is first spoken of by Mr. Beaver to the four children, to Peter, to Susan, to Edmund and to Lucy. And Lewis writes these words, and now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken his name, everyone felt quite different. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realise that it is the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. For the four children, 
This name, Aslan, brought more than just a name. It brought a promise of something better, or for Edmund, the promise of something worse. And when we take this bread and we drink this cup in the name of Jesus, this is more than just bread. This is more than just a cup. This is a promise of something better, a something that will, will jump inside of us when we realise what these elements represent, what these elements point towards, ultimately what these elements promise. These elements are the promise of our sins forgiven. They are the promise of life with God through Christ. They are the promise of the many who partake of this bread and drink this cup becoming one in him, the many become one during this time. And they are the promise of Jesus one day renewing all things for his glory. The bread and the cup are not the promise themselves, but they do remind us of this promise in a fuller and more joyful way. They point towards the reality of Jesus himself. And so I really do look forward to the day that we can again have this meal together and have our hearts quickened by this promise and none of this none of this is going to make any sense to you unless you make a conscious decision to make Jesus Lord of your life and if you've never done that before then let me invite you to respond on our live stream platforms or by email or by social media let me just say very clearly that Jesus loves you Jesus died for your sins and Jesus invites you today to make him Lord of your life to put him first in every area of your life. He calls you today to center your life in him. Will you surrender your, your life to him today? This is the most important, but this is also the most satisfying decision that you'll ever make because Jesus will be at the very center and Jesus will lead you day by day. If you are a follower of Jesus today, hopefully this has made sense to you and you've been challenged, if, if you have been challenged by any of us, Maybe you're, you're feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you have a question. Maybe you're struggling and you would like prayer. Then do contact us in the message feed or contact us directly via one of our social media platforms or by email. But I want us today to recognise the importance of not letting this moment pass. We have a window now where we can come together and worship. Do not let this moment pass. Let us all come to Jesus. Let us hold on to the promise and let us expect with confidence and in faith that Jesus is going to help us today. Do consider what God is saying today and do respond to him in faith as we now move into this time of worship. Let's pray together. So Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that, that you are a creative God and you have given us creative symbols to understand the magnitude of what you have done for us. We thank you for the gift of the bread and the cup and how they point us towards the fact that your body and your blood was broken and shed for us. And Lord, we pray that, that we would understand this, not just with our heads, but with our hearts, and that we would choose to live a cross-centered life, a life that reflects you, a life that glorifies you. Holy Spirit, we pray that during this time of worship, you would convict us of our sins, that you would renew our hearts, that you would give us a fresh realization of who you call us to be, and that we would step forward in faith today and all the days of our life. We ask that you speak to us now, Jesus, in your precious and powerful name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. God bless.